Hello, and welcome to Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. Good afternoon, District 3. This is your podcast host, Don Griffith. Today, I'm with Steve Entman, who recently attended a very special speech contest. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Oh, great. Thanks, Don. Thanks for having me. Tell us about that recent event. You were involved with a fairly unusual speech contest. Tell us a little bit about it. <laughs> I was. Uh, the Blue Club decided that they were going to bring back the humorous speaking contest since it pretty much fell out of the the rotation that it used to be at the district. And this was their first one, and I auditioned for it. I've competed in some humorous contests before in the district and decided I would bring a speech back to life in this competition and made it to the big stage. So that was last week. It was quite an experience. Where was it? It was at the Tempe Improv. So that was, that by itself was an attraction to me because of the, uh, the stage, the setting. And I got to actually advertise I was at the Improv. <laughs> yeah. Big crowd there too, right? It was. I don't know what the official end numbers were, but I think it was somewhere in the range of three, 350 people. Yeah. It was huge. Yeah. Well, I was there with my camera, so I captured, I got your speech, and we'll send that to you. It was fun. Now, your speech was very interesting, very funny. <laughs> there were other speeches that were a little spicier, how, yes. shall we say, than yours? <laughs> they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that stayed in line with the spirit of what the blue group is. It kind of allowed a little bit more uh, sure. leeway with some of that, but it was fun. It yeah. was fun, and I think everybody appreciated it and reacted yeah. well to and it. And people were laughing at your speech, and... And I won't give it away here, but uh, people will <laughs> want to go find, go check out the Blue Toastmasters website. I believe they're going to be posting the video yes. for the contest. And you can see Steve and the other 11 speakers. It was a 12-speaker field. It was. It was a big competition. You said you had to audition for that. Tell us about the audition process. Yes. So I saw the advertisements a few months ago, and at the time it looked like all the audition spots had been taken. And then I saw a new advertisement that popped open and said there were some additional spots. So I messaged Carol with Blue and said, hey, I'm interested in doing this. And I got an audition spot. And it literally was just, I think they ran three or four months of their normal monthly meetings where there were just really many, almost like club or area contests. And those who got the thumbs up from the crowd got to move forward, and those who didn't, I guess, did. And so I don't know how many truly auditioned, but I know that the 12 of us that made it to the stage were the ones who made that cut for the cool. audition. So. so giving a speech at the Tempe Improv in front of 300-plus people in a field of 12, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Is that what you ever believed you'd be capable of when you first joined Toastmasters? No, not at all. Actually, for years, I wanted to join Toastmasters, but right before we started today, you had talked about your club being a 6.15 a.m. club. And so I will say that every club I saw back in the old days when I would look for a club were those, and that just wasn't going to work for me. So when I finally found my home club, which is Melrose, was a 7 o'clock p.m. club, I knew that I'd found my home. And so when I joined Toastmasters about five years ago, it literally was just to become better at public speaking. I kind of found myself in public speaking roles throughout my life for different reasons to include my job. I was do a lot of training at my job and did some public relations work at one point. 
And ultimately, it's always just been, how do I get better? It was never with any other <laughs> ideas beyond just mm -hmm. how do I get better and improve. And how long have you been a Toastmaster? I think I'm right about five years. I okay. had to look that up, but right about five okay. years. So more than the average. And you've obviously found some things that you enjoy about the program. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I have done a little bit of research about Ralph Smedley, too. And I actually have to say, going back to his original vision, I, I still think it's amazing. I have a little saying that I coined because I'll give a little speech once in a while, usually during a membership drive, whether it's Smedley campaign or some other membership drive. And the, we have that program called Talk Up Toastmasters. And I just feel that it shouldn't just be a campaign once a year. I just believe that every day there's the opportunity to talk up Toastmasters if you truly believe some of his vision. And I know just what I've gotten out of it personally. Right. Now, I've never been to a Melrose meeting, but I hear they're great. They are very entertaining. We meet in a bar <laughs> and we have the back room where a lot of people have back rooms and Denny's and other office spaces here there. We have the back room there is actually a performance area. They have shows there at the club, usually weekly. And because of that, we're actually in front of lights on a stage with Carp uh, with curtains in the background and glitter, so, all kinds of things. Wow. So your everyday meeting experience is like being in a in a performance hall. It really, it really yeah. truly is. It's a, it's small, but at the same time, it's right. still exactly like that. Yeah, great. So tell us about the early days when you first started. What was what drove you to seek it out? You mentioned how you you looked around. You finally found a time that worked. But what was it you were trying to accomplish? Um, again, trying to just improve my speaking, my communication abilities. Again, I think it's somewhat of a natural ability for me, and I know everybody comes in at different stages with that, but I know I could always be better. How do I communicate a message better? And I think that's always been my core because between the job and just other platforms that I've found myself on, you know, people would say, hey, you've got a good message or you do really well with this, so how do I get better? Because at some point when you're on a stage, you've got an audience, even if it's just a couple of people, if it's a Toastmasters meeting, if it's sitting on a at a conference somewhere, you have an audience. And so how do I get that message out as clearly as impactful, no matter what the message is, how do I do that better? So that's always been my driving force. It was just, again, how do I find the right fit for me? And yeah, like you, I, when I've joined, I've been in a little longer, 22 years. Okay. A little bit. <laughs> when I first joined, I wasn't nervous about speaking or afraid to speak. It was just, I wasn't very good. And I found out, found that out right away when I gave my first speech, and it was anything but ideal. And I've learned since that that's normal, that's okay. Stick with the program, and you'll get better. Tell us about the trajectory. You've been, you joined five years ago or so, and kind of walk us through some of the stages of development, um, things you accomplished that led up to this being on this big stage in front of 300 people. So... What are some of the things that happened along the way? <laughs> it, it's a little bit funny because it actually goes back to when you talked about the steps. And one of the steps of joining a Toastmasters club is getting a mentor. And my mentor was David Hodesh. And I actually will drop the name out there because a lot of people recognize that name. David was a member of Melrose. And we just clicked. I, whatever reason people click, we clicked. And... So we started working together. Now, I will say Dave is not really good on the administrative portion, and neither am I. So there's certain things I still struggle even knowing how to log into the, the Toastmasters website. However, David's really good at 
mentoring from a speaking standpoint and himself has competed several times mm-hmm. to include at the blue yeah humor David, speak David was one of the speakers yeah he was so I remember early on after doing a few speeches David came to me and said we need to get you into competitions and I remember looking at him saying I have no no intent on competing that's not what I joined Toastmasters for I just want to become a better speaker I don't need to do competitions. I'm not looking for glory. I'm not looking for trophies. I'm not, I'm not looking for that. It's not what I want. He says, no, 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 you have to, you have to do it. So we got to the qualifying time. I don't remember what that is, however many speeches I had to get. And he encouraged me to enter, ironically and coincidentally, the humorous contest back in 2015. So again, having never seen a contest, having never been part of a contest, that was my big first jump into that. I learned so many things even through that process and then having competed since that time frame. And I, that very first year, that very first contest, I told David, I said, I have all these crazy little stories about my mom. (laughs) I said, and they're funny by themselves, but I know this isn't stand up. So how do I, what do I do with these? And so working with him, he gave me some ideas. Now, at first I thought the ideas were just the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. But thankfully, I didn't throw them completely out. I kind of stewed on those a little bit and started putting pieces on paper. And eventually, somehow I was able to take all these crazy little stories about my mom and weave them into a story that I called The Day I Met My Match, which was essentially a fictitious story of me working when I was a highway patrol officer, making a traffic stop on my mom. (laughs) And <laughs> I think I heard that speech. <laughs> you gave a speech about being a highway patrol officer pulling your mother over for some sort of traffic violation. <laughs> true story? Yeah. Well, not a true story that I stopped her, but a true story that I gave the speech. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, what were some of those ideas that David suggested that seemed really out there and kind of... Why do you want me to do that? What were some of the things? Do you remember? Well, I do, because as I said a minute ago, that I had all these little independent stories. The fact that we couldn't eat at Kentucky Fried Chicken growing up because my mom had heard a story 50 years ago that a rat had fallen into a fryer. <laughs> so that's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that there was uh, just several other little things, those are true stories. The fact that she always wants to point out my bald spot on my head. I didn't know how to make those into a big story. And and I'm kind of, unfortunately, with my speaking, sometimes I want to be very factual. I want to be very linear. Now, that's probably good in certain speeches, but in this kind of environment, I didn't. So David was able to take, first of all, that boundary off saying, you know, it doesn't have to be a true speech. It can be what you want it to be. And then he threw this idea at me and said, why don't you make it into a traffic stop with your mother? And my response was, David, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But as I said earlier, thankfully, I didn't just completely throw it out the door. I kind of thought about it more and more. And I thought, well, wait a second. Well, what if she's eating Kentucky Fried Chicken and the hot, greasy chicken's making her weave all over the road, right? And again, why is she speeding on my highway? My highway, that was part of my lines. Mm -hmm oh, she's speeding to hurry up and get home to my dad. Well, then there's a whole portion of that story as well and all of the punchlines that come with that. And so that was it. Once he, once I 
got out of my black and white or my very rigid thinking, which was part of David's thought process, I could see the bigger picture. And then I was able to start making those connections to all these funny, crazy little true stories into this fictional but very funny (laughs) big story. I like it. I like that idea (laughs) to weave the small parts into a larger fabric that has a very funny trajectory to it. It's, (laughs) it's, It's great. Yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah. So that was back in 2015. Yes. And tell us about the levels that you competed at. Did you won your your club contest? I did. So again, there was just there was just the two of us that actually competed in the club. I think there was supposed to have been a third, but anyhow, when it's all said and done. And the person that I was up against had a couple of years experience on me, and I remember again another uh, longtime toastmaster and and major anchor with with Melrose, Lynn Brazier said, she saw when I performed, she said, oh my goodness, Steve has just beat Joseph. And again, my intent was not about who am I going to beat or I need to beat, but you're in a competition. So at some point, and I had no experience, so I didn't know what to expect. So when I won that club contest and got set for the area, I found myself right back at that same crossroads of, I don't know what to expect next. And Sure enough, I think there was four or five at the area contest, and I won the area contest. And so now my head's spinning because I never expected. I went from I have no intent on competing to, all right, I kind of see the vision and I'll get there and do this, to now I'm I'm up to a division-level contest. And as you know, each level, gets the competition gets stiffer. And we were up at Game & Fish for the division contest, and I had several group members that came and – supported. And I think I was second speaker. It's always hard. I don't like being in the front end. I don't know that anybody does, but it is what it is. And did my speech. And at the end, you know, there's that anticipation. They call it off. And next thing you know, I'm winning my division contest and I'm onto the district stage. And that year the conference was up in Wickenburg. And so I went to Wickenburg and had a bunch of folks in in the audience again from the club that came up to support me and competed. And I think I was third or fourth speaker in that competition. And I think there was nine or 10 speakers in that one. So a big, you know, big group and big, uh, big competition field. And to this day, I'm still shocked, but they called me as the winner of this, of the district humorous contest in 2015. So my first competition got all the way to, not only just got all the way to district, I actually won it with the day I met my match, which was little true stories about my mom in a fictional way. (laughs) That is an interesting story. You go from not even, not on your radar at all, just completely... (laughs) I'm not interested. I don't care about that. To winning the the district state level, that's great. Yeah, it's still crazy. I still treasure every moment of that experience. <laughs> so that was 2015. Yes. Did you continue being involved with contests after that? I did. I um, I appreciate the humorous thing, and apparently, I I know I'm really good when I'm one on one with people. Quipping, I have a tendency to make people laugh a lot. But, you know, a speech, it's crafting pieces of a speech. So being able to make people laugh, but being able to put it into a crafted speech is a different, completely different technique. So, but I have lots of crazy stories about parents and family and other experiences. So thankfully, taking some of David's lead from that first one of it doesn't have to be true, but how can I take these pieces? And so I did. So the very next year, 
I competed one again, dealing with both of my parents <laughs> and it's actually a big lesson that I learned a lesson in planning and disappointment and, uh, it still hangs with me. And someday there's another speech that's going to come out of this experience. I'm planning it. I've been planning it since the day it happened. I just haven't put it together there yet. And same thing. I had, I competed my air, my club, my area got all the way to division. And I know it'll sound weird when I say this, but I had won division, but before they announced the names, they said, we have a disqualification for time. I knew that I had done this speech several times up to this point. I knew that I was spot on. I had the reaction. I think anybody sitting around knew that the reaction and how it went, I had one division. So that meant I was getting ready to go back to district to defend my title from the year before. I mean, what's the chances, right? What is that? I was that excited. And when they announced the actual winner and it wasn't me, and I knew it was me that had been disqualified. And I found out, I don't know that you're supposed to, it was one second. <laughs> And the thing that I learned from it, besides the huge disappointment and just wanting to kick yourself, is that from the area contest to the division contest, I knew where I was at on time. And I knew I could add another funny piece in. But I also missed out on the, op the fact that the bigger the crowd, the bigger the reaction. So it takes longer to develop. So putting in 30 seconds worth of a story put me about one second over and therefore, I did not go on a district that year. But it's a lesson learned, and it's a huge growth. And at some point, I'll compete that speech again. I just, I almost did it this year for the blue, but I chose to do something different. And it was, um, it was a big disappointment. But I learned a lot from doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and like I said, there's a speech in that somewhere too, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you clearly had been learning and polishing your storytelling and your communication and like you said you hit your marks people were laughing at the right places and then you learn there's a strategy and there's planning and one of those strategies is don't make last minute changes right <laughs> <laughs> at least not that drastic but yes right, definitely right. definitely don't sometimes mm -hmm. you just have to go with it two successful contest seasons even getting to division for a lot of people is is a challenge yes doing that well two years in a row that's great no, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. So what happened after that? Did you keep going with contests? I did another humorous contest, and which is why the speech that I did this year in blue was actually the revision of that. I brought that one back to life because I couldn't get it passed. I, got, I couldn't get it out of my club, so I competed it with my other club. Uh, Sleek is my leadership club that I belong to. So I competed it through there and moved on, but then I couldn't get it out of area. Now, I will say that at least in the area, the one that I lost in area, that individual went on that year to win the district. So I can say that, well, my speech did lose out to the, you were, the district you, winner. You were but. beaten by the best, yeah. <laughs> so I kept it around because I'm like, no, this is a funny speech. It's got to come back to life. So Blue allowed me to come back to sure, life with that. But sure. that was a couple years ago. But then um, this past year, I'm starting to lose track of time, but this past year, um, I actually competed in the international contest and I brought a story that I've told a couple of different times in different environments and I brought that to life this year in my international, which I actually was able to get all the way back to the district stage and compete at the district level yeah. again with. Yeah. And as you pointed out, each level, the competition gets keener. People, you've, you've been selecting the best of the best all along the way. So when you get to that big stage and you don't quite 
you don't get the top trophy, you can still feel good about yourself. You were, yeah. you were doing well. It's one of the pieces, especially, and, and it doesn't matter because in my humorous, people remember. And then this year when I did my international, because it probably about as polar opposite of a speech as what my humorous speeches mm-hmm. are, because it is a tragedy in my family that I'm able to to talk about. But the amount of people that come up after every single level and say, wow, you've given me hope in my own family's tragedy or, man, I could I could live those same memories that you were living with your grandmothers and your aunt. We could live those again, too. So there's a fondness, um, a little bit of the hope that comes at the end. And so going back to my original goal for joining Toastmasters, it's about communicating the message. And my mm-hmm. message obviously resonates with people in the sense of they're coming and telling me how they related or how it impacted them. And I think that's what my biggest goal has been all around. I just have found myself several times on a stage. So it's more people that way. Were you surprised when you found that not only were you communicating, but you were inspiring? Yeah, I mean, definitely surprised because, again, these are my stories, meaning my family stories or whatever. But to see the ability to bring them out, you know, the story I tell at the International, that happened in 1981. The true and that is a true life story. That's not a fictional in 1981. And every time I tell that story, I have to be very careful at certain points. I can still find myself getting emotionally overtaken. And and again, that's part of that's the repetition and working past that part of another mm-hmm. experience in the, the speaking and the, the contest. But yeah, definitely. The, the fact that I can do that and other people say how much it impacted them, it really surprises me. And I realize it's a it's a privileged position to be up there and be able to share that. Sure. I can imagine when you started out, again, getting... In your work, you had to communicate to other people in your workplace and training sessions and so forth. Those were all factual and and linear, as you said earlier, those kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, here you are getting people who get your message. And right. they, they make your personal story, and they transform it into hope for themselves and their personal stories. Yes. That's powerful. Yeah, it really is. And like I said, it's a total privilege. I totally have taken it as a privilege and respect for that position that you wind up finding yourself in. So, You've, you've come a long way. What's up next? What's next for Steve Intiman and Toastmasters? <laughs> well, um, again, a member of, of Melrose, and I'm still an active member with that. I love that club. Um, this year I am the president of Sleek, so that keeps me a little bit busy there too, even though if any of my team members are listening right now, they're probably mad at me for not responding to some emails. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, you're on the radio, but... Uh, yeah, so oh, you've uh, got time yeah. to talk to Don, <laughs> exactly. but you don't have time to answer my email. I'm sure I will uh, get a few <laughs> messages about that. But um, So those two things by themselves, we're planning some leadership development opportunities through Sleek, so that's going to be something that you'll see over the next few months. And, you know, again, I just heard the other day that it's competition season getting ready to yeah. start again. So I don't know yet if this year will. Sometimes I've taken a year or two off in between for lots of different reasons. Sometimes um, it is just getting a mental stress. Not that it's overly stressful, but there is a stress that goes with that. And sometimes I also don't want to do it just to do it. Sometimes I want to make sure that my message that I have <clears throat> is is ready for it to go. I have a couple of other things Um 
that have always in the back burner, always have an idea in the back burner. And sometimes I just need to see that light to get the inspiration to take it that extra way. So I, I don't know exactly where I'm at right this moment, but I guarantee I'll compete again, whether it's this year or not, it's a, a different issue. I was interested in what you said that now that you're the president, when you first started, you were talking about you and David, neither one of you is real good on the administration side. The president is highly administrative. So have you grown in that area then as well? I, I definitely have. Definitely don't make me your VPE because <laughs> I think that one I would not do so well on. But I've been very fortunate both at Melrose when I was the president at Melrose and now at Sleek as well that I've, I think like most other successful leaders, they have great teams around them and I can't speak higher about the individuals that have worked around me. So sometimes, yes, the president has the figurehead and has administrative stuff. And I've always found it's a little bit more of just making sure everybody else is on task to get it done. But um, any success that I have is not because of me. It's usually because of the folks that are working around me. So yeah. <laughs> one of the recent podcasts we did was with Nancy Starcassidy. Okay. Who talked about her early days where she had no idea what these offices these positions were, but she knew she had people that had her back. She was told, we'll help you, we'll explain it, and we'll help you. You cannot fail. It sounds like you've had a similar experience. You've had those teams, those strong members at Melrose and Sleek, and I know many of those members, and they really are. They're stalwart Toastmasters. They, some of them have been in there a very long time and have helped me at various points. Yeah, I mean, I think that goes back to even some of our very beginning part of the conversation is about why, if I didn't know this getting into Toastmasters, which I didn't, it's definitely another thing that keeps me sticking around is the quality of the individuals who stick around. Like you, you said, you always have people that are in and out of clubs, you know, five years is more than the average, et cetera. But those people that stick around, they're committed and it's not, it's not committed in with any kind of selfish motivation. It's literally helping other people grow, be the best that they can. I mean, kind of going back to some of the speech experience that I had, the amount of people over the years that have stepped up and said, hey, if you want to run that speech by me, we'll we'll get together. I, I Lynn Brazier's house with Tom Ottstadt and David Hodesh preparing for my international. I, I, I didn't pay them anything. They said, hey, we'll come. We will give our time to come and give you advice on how this is and you get this at every level um mm -hmm. and and that is just another huge piece again that keeps me sticking around when it's time to do those renewals it's never a chore it's like oh i just got to remember to pay it on time yeah. because i want to be part of the program not yeah. because i have to be five years in you had the opportunity then over that five years to see other new people come in are you now one of those people who stands by them and as part of that, we'll help you crowd. We won't let you fail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've done several mentorships for folks. I love doing that, uh, especially I'm really good with the one-on-ones. And um, so I love helping that little portion out there. And then also with, with the clubs, uh, we had a, a situation in Melrose just last year where the president, within just about a month or two into his tenure, um, had to step away. He had to leave the state, actually, for a family issues and so it created kind of a void and somebody else stepped into that role but still being relied on to help with that and again so me being that person whenever people ask you know absolutely now I have refused 
used some district service here or there. So again, I'll probably get a few calls on that. But some of that is about managing other, you know, priorities mm -hmm. and other responsibilities, but at the same time too, always helping out when I get a chance. So each of us has to figure out our own ability and our own capability to handle extra things. Sounds like you and I both have found out that Toastmasters is one of those high-priority things that we will do. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, it takes time. Sometimes it's hard work, but most of the time it's it's just fun. And it's great to watch people grow. Yeah, the, the growth about folks, especially especially people that come in that struggle so much, is, you know, that the, it's filled with the ums and the ahs or just or so nerve-wracking that they're just shaking nonstop. And then just to watch just a few months later and how how much that has changed. I mean, that's that's a reward in and of itself. Would you like to brag on some of those folks that you've seen come up after you? Sure. Um, uh, let's just, you, we talked about her earlier, but Michelle Zalek. Even though Michelle just a year or so became a distinguished Toastmaster and got her DTM, I remember watching the first speech that I saw her give when I gave when I just became part of Melrose. And I thought to myself, wow, this person's really struggling, but she worked through. She had to stop her speech. She had to start all over again. But you know what? Somebody ran up and hugged her on the stage. She took a breath. She started all over again. And then look at her now. I mean, that's just four plus years ago. And here she is a distinguished Toastmaster, an area director, you know, and again, in, involved in every single She's everywhere, yeah. everything, right? So that's just an easy name to throw out there that, you know, that a lot of people will know and recognize and appreciate that. Right now we have somebody that's new to Melrose, newer within the last year or so. Um, her name is Boki, and Boki's actually from China. So imagine coming to this country. She's a student here learning the language um, on top of it. And yet Boki, matter of fact, if Boki's not competing in the next humorous competition, I'll be really disappointed because we've already started kind of having those same conversations that Hodesh was doing to me. I'm having those conversations and other people are Boki. She's so, so funny naturally. And just so watching that and how committed and dedicated she is as well, that she puts in the time and effort just to a role so that she understands it when she gets up there just in a little club meeting. She's our sergeant at arms this year. So, yeah, watching that growth. Um, those are just a couple from yeah. <laughs> my little yeah. world. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Steve. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today. You're obviously a dedicated Toastmaster. <laughs> You're excited about the program. You were brave to get up there on that stage at the Tempe Improv last weekend and compete with some of the top speakers in the district. Congratulations on that, and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, thanks, Don. I appreciate you having me. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. To volunteer to be featured on the podcast or to suggest future topics, write podcast at aztoastmasters.org. That email again is podcast at aztoastmasters.org. Toastmasters International and all other Toastmasters International trademarks and copyrights are the sole property of Toastmasters International. This podcast is independent of Toastmasters International. It is not endorsed by, sponsored by, affiliated with, or otherwise connected with Toastmasters International other than for the use of the name Toastmasters International.